Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 352. And this week, I'm joined by a pair of people, which is incredibly rare for me. A lot of you know, outside of drunk casts, I don't generally have two people on at once. But these are two people who come in a pair. It's the Blaine Brothers. And I got to work with them recently. After being a big fan of one of their films, Nina Forever, I got to work with them on Out of Her Mind. Now, we don't give any spoilers, I don't think. But Out of Her Mind is on iPlayer at the moment. All six episodes, half an hour each. But this was a great chat. It was great to sit down and kind of obviously talk about their career and everything else, but also have a bit of a a post-mortem. Often uh, when you make a film or a show, unless it's someone who, you know, you've kept in good contact with or whatever, you do your job on the day and then you see the thing and then that's kind of that. So so, so it's, it's really nice to sit down and have a bit of a... I go over it all since this conversation i've watched the whole series and been as blown away as i was expected you'll hear from the podcast how blown away by the script i was and how excited to be part of it i was so yeah it was great to go and watch and see how amazingly these boys translated it all onto screen and just yeah they nailed it it's exciting it's a script and a show that takes a lot of risks and does a lot of unusual stuff and I think that kind of thing is so important in all genres, you know. We kind of think of risk-taking and doing stepping away f- from the norm as being in more indie drama and kind of stuff like that. But a BBC sitcom pushing the, the, those boundaries is, is awesome. Um, anyway, I'll stop rambling on. If you're a fan of the podcast or my stuff in g- g- general, then head to speechdevelopmentrecords.com. We've got a lot of good merch Good little, I mean, we're getting towards Christmas. Good little Christmas things to pick up. Yeah, head over there. Other than that, this is episode 352 with the Blaine Brothers. glad we've got to the bottom of it but, but let's get started i'm here today with the blaine brothers chris and ben how are you guys yeah good. really good dude good 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 you're you're <laughs> the first or the s- second brothers i've had on after the safety brothers so you're in good company really right very good company yeah nice yeah, yeah so how are you each kind of holding up in these in these unusual t- t- times in sci-fi 2020. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, it's kind of like, you kind of go, 2020 is such a sci-fi year. Yeah. And you, you'd feel a bit disappointed if we weren't in some sort of <laughs> weird, you know, new dystopian nightmare. Uh, it would be like, well, where's my flying car? Whereas instead you're going, yep, the, the sky is orange. Um, in Britain, it's been raining constantly for like the yeah. last four days. So we're definitely living in Blade Runner. And uh, yeah, you know, it's sort of exciting in, in that respect. Yeah, I love it. Um, and I had a child uh, the week before lockdown. So yeah, how's uh, that been? Months. Yeah, I mean, you know, months <laughs> of enforced isolation and a creeping sense that I'm losing my mind uh, is just what happened when I had my first child. So it just seems <laughs> like the rest of the world has just like copied uh, us and have, have just kind of done the whole baby thing but just without babies everyone else 
Yeah, yeah. it's a weird one. I guess you've been l- lucky that the actual birth bit happened just before oh, g- lockdown, yeah, right? Yeah, we were so lucky. So I, I was able to be there and it's, I, yeah, it's really, uh, yeah, I've had some heartbreaking stories of friends who just, you know, been through all sorts of stuff and have had to do it on their own. It's, it's, it's really tough, that side of things. Yeah. But yeah. a serious voice on. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> but even then, like um, the grandma and uh, your daughter, mm. neither of them could go and could they? No, no, no. I was the only person who was allowed in. Wow. And yeah, it was, it was, it was just when it was going really weird. And so like, I'd go out to like try and get proper food. Like I went to the Tesco Metro in the middle of Soho and it properly was the end of the world. It was just like, there was three people, three members of staff on and queues around the block and the shelves were empty. And then like, there was this one woman who was running it who like, uh, if she had a gun, she would have used it. She was, and, and like this one guy who worked for her was trying to go on his break and it was just, it was it was, but it really felt like, is this how it ends? Like, are people going to start fighting in this shop? Yeah. Are we? Yeah. And like, what have I brought a child into? But anyway. Awesome. And, and, <laughs> and, the, and the truth of it is actually all that happened was um, we all stocked up on toilet paper and don't need to buy any until 2021. This is true. It's perfect, right? Have Have you felt as parents, it's given you a little bit more control over everyone else as such? Because when you have a child, there is a weird responsibility to to, as you said, to grandparents, to aunts, to uncles, to friends, to everyone who might want to come and visit when you're at the end of your tether or when you're not really capable of taking visits. But there is a responsibility because everyone has to see the new baby. (laughs) Has it felt that you've got a pandemic to fall back on and say, well, I'm afraid (laughs) we're going to have to just stay at home for now? Yeah, no, we missed him. We we, we missed him, to yeah. be honest. And it's, yeah, and um, it's sad. My son kind of doesn't really know that other people exist. Of course. It's kind of like he he went for six months without really seeing anybody else. And then suddenly yeah. it's like people with other faces are turning up. And there's just this look in his eyes of like, what's that? Yeah. That's really weird looking. That's not like one of the people I know. Yeah. I know three people. This That's is wrong. That's what faces look like. I've seen yeah, the three so faces. How can there be more faces? <laughs> so yeah, it's a little worrying what his generation are gonna are just gonna be like, you know. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's strange. Well, I mean, the pregnancy comes into what we're largely here to talk about as 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 well, because because you guys have 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 directed a new s- series called out of her mind, which again, we didn't have the name when we were shooting it. I'm, I'm, I'm in yeah. it, which was hugely exciting. So I keep having, having to look and check what the name is because it's the, <laughs> it's the new part of it. So before we get to that, I want to kind of do more of a journey because as I said, the other brothers I've had on are the Safdie brothers, and it is a rare thing to get a pair of brothers who write together, the direct together and all these kind of things. So, how was that growing up? Did you, from an early age, kind of know you wanted to work together or was it something that came later? Uh, we used to do Lego and we'd always make up stories with Lego. But Amazing. in terms of actually working together, Ben always sort of wanted to be a playwright and I always wanted to be, I don't know, Leonardo da Vinci really, you know. Um <laughs> Uh, doing some art and and building some war machines that would have been great set your sights low yeah exactly well you wanted to be Shakespeare I wanted to be Da Vinci Uh, so you know uh, but yeah so basically Ben was always writing stuff and I was always drawing and then 
I bought a camera to do some animation with because I'd fallen in love with animation because of Nick Park. And Ben had written a script with his mate Keith, uh, which was sort of a funny adaptation of the entirety of the Bible. Yeah, and, amazing. And so Ben said, can we use your camera? But even better, could you press record on it? Press the red button. <laughs> yeah. And so we <laughs> we acted the whole thing out with us and our mates, all putting on fake beards and, you know, fake blood and... Yeah, just down in the woods near to to where we were uh, living um, over one summer holiday. Yeah, uh, and to shot- be honest, it became very clear at the end of that process that like, like there are a whole bunch of people who went, "Oh, that sounds fun! I'll do this and I'll do that," and generally they didn't, or if they did, it you wish they hadn't. And at the end of that process, it was clear that the only person I could trust was Chris, and that when it was like, "Oh, can you do that?" he would do it, and he'd also do it better, and it was like. Oh, okay. That's interesting. It sort of started out as if like trying not to work with him and ended up being kind of like, oh, I see. You're the person I can work with. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's where we are. <laughs> that's, I mean, yeah. that's amazing because in this industry in, in general, you, you find directors and stuff find people that they want to work with or they can work with. So to find that in your own family home is, is, <laughs> is a massive advantage. I always remember when, um, and, our mutual friend Aaron was um, directing the music video after we'd done a load of mine and they needed help and I offered to to be a runner. And it was because I was like, I want to be the best runner ever because I know that it's the job that everyone will say, I'll do that, a mate will help out. <laughs> and then you feel really bad because your mate is doing a terrible job or isn't interested or is disappearing. So I made a point of that day of being the best runner imaginable, not tr- <laughs> trying to... I come and watch what they're filming if I've not if I've not been asked to just sticking where I'm meant to be and doing what I'm meant to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is weird when you're working with friends because everyone w- wants to be involved. But yeah, as you said, you learn quite quickly. It's not as fun as it might seem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's really easy to think you know when you watch something. Effectively, w- when it's being made, it's probably being made at roughly the same sort of speed as um yeah. the thing that you're watching like we once did a, a short film with um <laughs> it was all about kids in a primary school and it was a five minute short film and it took us five days to shoot in one of their half terms which actually had uh Carrie and sarah helping us out uh looking after the kids when they weren't in the classroom shooting with us Amazing. and yeah we so we shot this thing and it took us what was it six nine months to get it finished yeah so we, sh- we shot it in the february half term and uh, most of the kids in it were in their final year at primary school. Um, so then they have their big summer holiday and then most of them started big school. And then in that autumn half term, we were ready to show them the the, the film. Wow. And so we sort of took the producer um, kind of like, you know, got a screening at their local multiplex cinema. And there was like a, a making of documentary that, that they adored. And then we showed them this five minute film. And without exception, they were utterly utterly unimpressed and they were like how did it take you so long it's just five what were you doing like like i've grown up and become a become a fully fledged adult at big school yeah and you've done five minutes work you're pathetic it's 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 hilarious because the amount of of life in those six months because of that period of that changing and the growing up and genuine it's like wow that's going to be really insulting to think that's what you've been doing that's, that's it. what you've been doing. That's the best, you, that's the best you've got, is it? Right. Yeah. I've cool. become a man. 
and you've made a five minute little video. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that that one was actually a film. We actually shot that one on film, one of the few that we've we oh, did. Wow. Yeah. Shot on, on actual uh, uh, Super 16, wasn't it? Uh, uh, yeah. Where was it you grew up? Uh, Hertfordshire, so just sort of uh, the wrong side of the M25, um, yeah. basically, you know, kind of uh, a little bit of a nowhere land called Potts Bar, which um, is mainly famous for uh, its two exits from the M25 and its rail crash. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we sort of we grew up there, and it was, a, yeah, slightly strangely creative place for us as well though you know like yeah. um let our imagination sort of run free a bit i love the sound of you guys just wanting to make films and making them i, th- I think there's such i think there's a weird thing now i don't know if it's because of social media but i on on all fronts on on music on everything i'll get people hit me up asking me what they should do and how they should approach it and i think the answer is 90 percent of the time we'll just do it Start, now yeah make it yeah and figure it out and it's i think particularly with film and scripts it's the realization that it's the first film or script you're going to make not not the only because i think yeah. we can get far too precious i've right i've written this i now need to get the biggest production company in the world i need to get george lucas on board i need this and that it's like well if you've had one good idea then have f- faith in yourself that more are going to come make this one however you can and progress on from that right yeah Yeah. totally it's that thing of like it's always really hard to accept the fact that you're going to make something that's not any good like you i don't think you can start any creative process (laughs) going into it going this isn't going to be any good (laughs) but you equally you have to have like if you imagine that everything you do has to be perfect and therefore requires all the resources that your perfect film will have yeah. Then, I mean, it was like, actually, like the film in the primary school was one of a bunch of shorts that I wrote uh, in one week. I set myself this challenge of writing a different film every night. And so I wrote, you know, these seven Amazing. short films and some of them were bollocks and some of them were delightful. And we went through them and went kind of like, okay, this one don't like, this one's, you know, so-so. We could probably shoot that like, you know, in a couple of weeks with our mates again. You know, this one, this one's really fucking good. So we're going to hold on to this one. And this is the one that we will do when we get our chance to do a really, really good film. So it's like, this one has to be on 16 mil. This one has to be this, has to be that. But it was always like with this clear path in our heads of kind of like that one benefits from having that stuff spent on it. Whereas this one that's about, again, about our mate Keith not being Jesus or our mate Keith being Jesus, which for a long time was sort of like the main theme of all of our work. Um, <laughs> like that's just another iteration of that. We can just go to a pub one night and shoot that and that'll be fine. Yeah. And it's a, you know, it's that thing of like doing something for the doing and you learn so, you know, like letting yourself make mistakes because that's how you learn. You and, and and that's the best place to be learning as well on these, yeah. on these smaller things. Me and, um, a sp- a guy I met on the spoken word scene, Polar Bear, have said numerous times that we both stopped doing spoken word and we've no plans to return to it because because we've not done it in so long, we'd be shit again. But now we'd have an audience. And when we were shit previously, there was no one there. There was like a few yeah. people waiting to get up and do their turn and not really caring what we're doing because that's how open mics work. So we're like, I can't go back to it because... There'd be people there to see how bad I am until until I get good again. But that translates in this. I I can't help. I couldn't. Isn't that help terrifying sp- though for where we are now? Like like every yeah. comedian I know 
It's going to have that car back gig to that. that yeah. like, that, and then suddenly, like, you know, six months from now, hopefully, suddenly it's going to be like, oh, well, we can do all this stuff again, and everyone is going to be shit again. It's just going to yeah. be really like, <laughs> it's ground zero. It's, and yeah. the crowds are going to be hungry for it. And then, yeah, yeah. it's scary. I, I couldn't help smirking as you were uh, telling the story then, because the timeline of that primary school shoot is just hilarious that you wrote it in one night you shot it in six days and then edited it in six months <laughs> having having waited like four or five years to make it yeah exactly uh, yeah so i love that that's, that's but again i think that is great i think are you, are you com- completely right do you find having timelines or time restrictions or restrictions in, in general help with your creative process because i think things like that i'm going to write a story every night of this week as you say a few of them may never see the light of day or may not be good enough but having that restriction on you is better than i can now write endlessly about anything at any time and how do i finish that yeah definitely i mean again there's always it's sort of slightly um when 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 you put the restriction on yourself i think that's probably the best thing because you feel in control of it and you feel, yeah. you know, a bit like that whole kind of like, you know, that sort of Jack White thing of, you know, for him, the White Stripes, they were the, he was only allowed to play the three guitars that he had. And like, the, 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 the but he plays exactly the same instruments throughout yeah. all of those. And that was like part of the, I can only do these things. And, you know, and then there are the constraints and restrictions that are forced upon you by circumstance. Yeah. Um, you know, and those, I think probably Tom Morello, Tom Morello's iconic Raging Against Machine sound. It was hilarious yeah. seeing an interview with him in a guitar magazine and saying, "So why did you choose this?" And he's like, "They're just the ones that, that the shop had that I could afford." So his combination of pedal, guitar, and amp, it's like that's what my local shop had and, and what that's, I could, and I kept it, it for the rest of my year of my yeah. career. I got really good at using what I was I yeah. had accessible to me. Yet yeah, all these, yeah. G- g- guitar nerds are like the combination of these strings and this and that and he's like can't help you there mate <laughs> yeah, it's just all i had yeah but yeah yeah we we do uh, yeah we we do rail against some of the restrictions that have been forced on us by outside forces but i do accept that uh, they probably are just as creative as some of the uh, ones that we put on ourselves <laughs> i think it's we, because we started out by doing stuff ourselves, we kind of like we did read all the books like we read, you know, Gorilla's Filmmaker's Handbook, and uh, you know, we learned about crossing the line and stuff like that. But essentially, because it was just us and our mates, and it was like, okay, well, we're shooting a thing, we'd basically finish a thing and be like, you know, what would be really handy was some, you know, if someone was there to keep the time and keep us like, you know, get the shoot going on on you know on schedule. And it's like, oh, that's called a first AD. Yeah, congratulations, um, you've just invented the first AD. They've been yeah. around for years. <laughs> And we'd do that constantly. We'd invent a job that already existed, um, getting a mate to try and do it for us because we were like, oh, we kind of need somebody to do this or that. And a lot of the time it would be, oh, they've already done that. That's exactly how that works in the industry. But then sometimes you're kind of like, common sense doesn't say let's shoot in the way that things are shot. You know, there's like, there's yeah. a lot of people on set and there's a lot of yeah. time wasted. And there's, yeah, there's so many different ways of, of doing something. It's kind of like, yeah, this is the way that it's always been done, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's always the right way to do it now. It's, no, it's, it's something it was... that I think I'm, I'm learning with acting as well is you, is you want to learn as much as you can and then choose which bits you want to discard, L- learn the yeah. rules so you can break them as, 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 as such. And that's, whereas if you're just going in blind, 
as I said, you're inventing things that have already existed and there's a better way to do it and an easier way to do it. And you've just gone, I need, yeah. I need someone who can do this job. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, like, you know, learning, you know, reading like, you know, the grid of filmmakers handbook, God bless it. Um, and all who sail in it, it sort of teaches that way of kind of, you know, the, the logical, rational way of particularly making something on limited resources of shooting completely out of sequence and completely kind of as your budget dictates or as your first AD or production manager would dictate. And for years, that was how he worked. And it was almost kind of like, at first, it's almost like that's like a a badge of honour or like, oh, this is the proper way of working. It's like, I'm not a proper filmmaker because I've just read a book. But this is, the book tells me that this is how proper people do it. They do it in this really kind of higgledy-piggledy order. um, And then you piece it together in the edit. And then we were lucky enough to um, interview David and Sandy um, Wasco, who uh, set designer, production designer and art director um, on some of the most amazing films. They've done loads of Tarantino stuff. And they were talking about how he shoots everything in script order. So like when they were doing Inglorious Bastards, they would shoot a scene in Berlin and then the next scene is down in um, Bavaria. So they, the whole crew would go over there and then they'd come back to Berlin to shoot the next scene because that was a, another Berlin-based scene. And you go, that's insane. And you go, why yeah. would you do that? And they were like, well, because from his point of view, the only thing that matters is the actors. And for actors, it's much e- like the person who struggles most in that situation when you're just, you know, you're jumping from the start to the end to the middle is the yeah. actor because they're the ones yeah. who have to keep the emotional story in their heads. And for him, he's just like, well, why do that? Like we've got them, you know, he has the money. So he's like, well, I'll, I'll just, I'll support the actor as best I can. And that I think was a real kind of like wake up like moment for us. We we're just like, oh yeah, that's what matters. It doesn't actually like we, we, the low budget thing, you naturally get so into I've made it and you go, that's a real badge of honor. And it should be, you know, like getting to the end of something is, incredible and you know something but once you've done that a few times you start going okay now i've made some things how do i make them not rubbish and (laughs) you start realizing that yeah the the thing that matters and in film everything matters but the thing that matters is the actor and you go well what 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 are we doing here that's actually making the actor's job harder and so much of that is scheduling and so much of that is all of the kind of shit that you know that actors because you know most actors are brilliant they take in their stride and they cope with but that's not the same as going yeah but if i didn't make you have to do that if i just let you go through this emotional journey as the character is going through it'd be easier for you wouldn't it you know completely and again i think one of the keys i've found in my kind of journey into this world is trying to trying to remove as much acting as possible if that makes yeah. sense and and, yeah. and it is as simple as that if you are doing it in, in order that's one less thing that you have to think about and go all right so actually so we're now doing the one the second part of the one we shot a month ago where yeah. was i at that point and all that kind of thing so if you can remove as much of that kind of thing as possible it's obviously again it again if you have to do it, then you you do it, and that's yeah. part of your of your job. But I've I love that. I've I've never heard that of Tarantino or or of anyone else of just going right. Let's just make it in the order it was made. It's kind of the weird. Yeah, make, it's make logical it though. It's a straight eight. It's logical um, though because you assume yeah. b- before you have any insight that that's yeah. how things are done, and then you learn. Oh no, it's not, <laughs> and you never kind of question yeah. that. It's like, well, let's make it that way then. I love that. Yeah. Mike Lee does that as well. I mean, you really? know, obviously, the way that he's, yeah, 
making films you kind of go yeah that's sort of integral to the process yeah but literally they're kind of like they have to book out locations for the full duration of the shoot yeah because yeah. it's like well we're going to come back probably yeah we're going to be back and forth on it so <laughs> yeah so how was it to get from or what was the the uh, the jump or journey from making sh- shorts to making uh, your first a feature film because Nina Forever made my prestigious films of the year list of the year it came out and I was was a a big fan of it and it must have been an exciting but daunting task right or did you feel you'd made you'd got into the swing of things at that point so it was a natural progression (laughs) it was both (laughs) yeah we'd sort of spent quite a long time uh, like we'd done lots of short films and we'd got to a point where it seemed like, oh yeah, we're going to be making a feature really soon. And that didn't happen for, you know, whatever reason. Um, we never quite found the right people to be making a thing with and it never quite kicked off. And we found ourselves doing some editing on television, um, which was really instructive and really, really good actually, seeing the way that other people put a story together and, you know, working yeah. out how you craft it in the edit room with a director, mainly with a director called Ben Gosling-Fuller, who uh, is a lovely, lovely, lovely person. Um, and uh, His production yeah. company is called Utterly Lovely, and uh, <laughs> it's one of the few production companies where you go, oh, I see what you're called that, yeah. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> but whilst doing the telly, we'd, we'd notice how much you'd be kind of, yeah, getting boxed in in a way. Um, mm. And we'd found that we were writing a film that we'd made a short film of called Hello Panda. And we were trying to make that into a feature. And the original idea of it was always a feature film. And we'd shrunk it down to try and get it into this short film. And so it was like, yeah, we can definitely do this as a feature. But then as we kept doing new drafts of it, it was like, yeah, we need to make it more of a romantic comedy, more of a romantic comedy. And we'd got it really sparky between Mark and Sarah, the two people. But the main thing that the film is actually really about is that mark has a friend called panda who's a panda who uh <laughs> he's the zookeeper of and who he has to wank off to uh, get to artificially inseminate the other panda um and it's, it's the classic story yeah the yes. classic story exactly story yeah. as old as time yeah. yeah boy boy meets girl boy loses girl boy has to wank panda uh, <laughs> and we'd basically we we got to this point where we'd written this film and it was like yeah yeah it's really working between Mark and Sarah we could probably cut panda out actually and then you're like well the only reason we want to make the film is panda he's a great character um and uh, yeah he was played by Benedict Wong in the in the short film oh um, wow and yeah. uh yeah who's fucking amazing absolutely um, and- amazing he's been men- he's been claiming he's coming on the podcast for about 3 years now he did a deal that I'll send him a, a- a one of our rare vinyls to get him on the podcast and we agreed it ages ago and he's not he's not delivered his end yet so but yeah he's amazing yeah 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 he really is yeah so we so having got to this point where we're like we're we're cut you know we could write out the thing that we actually love like um ben you always talk about kill your darlings don't you yeah oh yeah no it's just the the industry is full of those kind of aphorisms that's the word look at you um yeah kill your darlings is one that people will always throw at you particularly if you're writing you know like every kind of exec will read a script and go kind of like you've got to get rid of this scene and this scene you know guys kill your darlings and it makes them sound really kind of like like they know what they're talking about it's just like yeah be really vigorous on your work and get rid of everything that that you think matters because you're an idiot and (laughs) if you trace it back kill your darlings actually it was um scott fitzgerald who came up with that phrase 
and you go, Scott Fitzgerald's darling, Zelda, died in a fire in the mental asylum where he'd left her. You go, I don't think Scott Fitzgerald is a good person to take advice from when it comes to what you should do with your darlings. And yeah. like for us, when you look, when you like, there's usually something that you fall in love with in an idea. And that is usually the thing that, that you have to protect. And that's your darling. And you have to protect your darling at the risk of everything else. And mm. anything else is just colouring in and you can get rid of it but usually it's the everything else that feels like the marketable thing so like in Hello Panda the thing that really matters to us is the panda he's the film but to make it feel like a rom-com there's no space for a panda in a rom-com so you go to make a marketable sellable script you take out the bear and you just have these two people falling in love and you go there we go we've been brave we've killed our darling but we've also what's the point of making that film and so having kind of, you know, been on that journey and been to LA with it and then been editing at the same time and, you know, been very much in a kind of uh, an exec process with one of the things that we were editing, you know, yeah, we've which got you, really... But you, you you really learned something from that as well, though, which was something yeah. that we, did, we didn't learn on the short films was how to work with execs because yeah. right. actually on shorts, it's really difficult. You don't actually spend much time, if, if any at all, with the execs who are on the no. short until they basically come in and go, well, why have you done this? This is shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> Angela, yeah, it's not a, re- you know, it's a, it's a weird relationship in a way that when you're editing something longer form, you're kind of like, oh yeah, here they come, they come in and you get to talk about it and it's a much more, well, it's a, it's a more gradual process on it. It's, yeah. you know, you kind of like, it's, yeah, it's much less, oh shit, this is all going to about to go tits up and we're going to get fired, which, you know, it always felt like on the short films. Yeah. Um, yeah so you kind of like that was a, a really nice learning experience and you could see it from the bbc folks who you know we were doing different channels and you can see the way that they were smoothing it out for their particular channel right. and so you'd be like this there's this there's a hilarious scene in one sit in one show that we've done with kevin eldon screaming out no and he just has this circular breathing where he just does it for at least like it's at least a minute and a half yeah for, I think just take, screaming no the first take he did was um nearly two minutes long wow. and like going through the rushes and seeing that we just killed ourselves and we were like okay we're keeping that has that. to be in that, that has, has to be, be in. you just hold the shot because he did a proper like everything about him freeze framed and so it's like <laughs> he like runs into the shot and then he freeze frames but his mouth keeps going and you're just like it's an incredible bit of performance that obviously they made us cut <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And you're like, just these little straight, you know, like another, another different, completely different thing we were doing where, um, there was a lovely bit of that an actor had done where he was messing around trying to sit comfortably on a sofa and it wasn't, you know, it's not, it's not the script. It's just a real, you know, it's like, it's meant to be a comedy. He's doing something funny. Let's, let's have that. And you know, you're like, you're always going, yeah, I know that's not going to end up in the final show because it's, it's not what we do. Yeah. So you kind of, yeah, you, you're basically going like, okay, I see how they fit their shows into boxes and they're, they're really knowledgeable about the kind of stuff that they have on their channel and the kind of thing that it should feel like. And that does sort of make sense. But at the same time, you're like, yeah, but the fun stuff's just over there. We yeah. cut it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so we were kind of feeling like we're cutting out the fun, weird bits. But, you know, we love the fun, weird bits. That's sort of what we're about, really. Yeah, yeah. And so... We started writing Nina, which Ben had had an idea about and written a, like a short play 
Yeah, um, I'd have been. Yeah, I'd been asked to write a short play by a theatre company, and um, I sort of had this idea. So I, I thought, oh, that'd be perfect for them. And I, I, I wrote it and sent it to them, and they were deeply offended and never spoke to me again. <laughs> <laughs> so we knew it was good. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, yeah, basically we, we were talking about it and talking about how we could make it into a longer thing. And the thing that was interesting about it in terms of the story is obviously Nina and the way that she comes back to life. That's obviously a really important part. But the main sort of thrust of the story is always going to be about Rob and come, him coming to terms with the fact that his girlfriend is dead. Yeah. And normally we'd seen lots of films by this point in which you go, yeah, so guy is grieving or, you know, has some sort of a problem this girl comes along and she just falls in love with him for no readily apparent reason. Because and, he's the uh, protagonist. Yeah. And she's the magic. She explained that girl. attractive. Yeah. So, they- <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually she gets some sort of illness and dies because he's got better and that's fine. And you kind of like, we've seen so many of those stories where that happened and it was like, you know, the, the criticism of the magic pixie, manic pixie dream girl yeah. um, was really big. And it was like, well, what, is actually going through her mind. That was the thing that was interesting to us. And so writing Holly and writing the story much more around Holly and why would she actually be interested in this guy who is grieving and is going through one of the worst possible mental experiences you can think of. Yeah, and um, it's, that, it's that thing, isn't it? It's like the kind of the um, the natural kind of kickback to that kind of cliche of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl is kind of like, oh, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't, you know, like you don't care for people. You're just out for yourself. You know, like, that's not any people I know. And, mm. you know, like we, you know, we sort of, you know, both looked at this sort of first scene that we'd written where, where Nina comes back for the first time and, you know, and like Holly runs away and we're like, well, what would you do in that situation? And you go, yeah, running away at that point when your new boyfriend's dead ex-girlfriend suddenly messily appears in bed between you covered in blood. You go kind of like, yeah, I would run away. But you go, and would you then never have anything more to do with him? And, like we just you know like emotionally both of us were like no we'd go back like you care you know like you you care about this person and you'd go i want to help and you know that felt actually like the most believe you know it's that thing of uh, people often kind of don't like writing about care and we really like writing about care because i think care is a really genuine human emotion that often doesn't seem dramatic but it is and it often yeah. like we're so used to that sense of what is drama drama is fighting for something fighting someone and you go yeah but in real life the number of fist fights that you actually have that <laughs> yeah. most people actually have you know is actually fairly limited whereas the amount of time that you actually spend trying to look after someone else in whatever way you know trying to stop them fucking their lives up in whatever way you know, yeah. that's actually what most of us are doing most of the time, I think. Yeah, completely. <laughs> so how was it, because you'd said on making the shorts, you'd learnt all, you'd made up all these j- j- jobs and learnt that they were real jobs. How was it making a feature? Was there the imposter s- syndrome or was there the kind of, right, we kind of know what we're doing now because of the other work we've done to, to get here? We definitely yeah. felt like we knew what we would doing like by that point we've done enough stuff where essentially we were thinking we can make this film on our own with three actors in a room 
and we don't even need that much money for costumes because they're naked for most of the time. Yeah. And we, by this point, we'd got like a Canon 5D and a set of lenses that we were, you know, in love using with. for, yeah, in love with because really beautiful. And we were like, well, if we end up shooting on that, that's brilliant. If we get something yeah. better, that's, that's cool too. But we and weren't We've, we've really... done plenty of stuff now where Chris shoots and I do sound and, you know, it's like we've made films where yeah. literally it's, it's us and, and actors and that's kind of, you know, got us over the line and it's not, you know, our favourite way of, you know, it's not our preference, but you kind of go, it's really nice going, well, that's in our back pocket, you know, it's like we can do that if we need to. So then in terms of the writing of it, we knew we could just write whatever the fuck we wanted and we could go off and make it. We'd saved up like 20 grand doing editing. And so we're like, okay, we've got this money in the bank. We could probably make a feature for that. It is mainly three people in a room and we can do it just that, just us. Um, Yeah. And And what was really freeing about that was we'd spent so long, like we'd got, from really early on, we'd got onto this sort of sense that this country has of there being a kind of industry ladder. And, mm. you know, we'd done our best to climb this ladder and then reached the point where we were just, all we were doing was asking other people's permission to get a bigger budget to make a bigger thing. And it was like, yeah. oh, I feel like we deserve it. Like, can we have this, please? And we just suddenly, it was just so nice to be in a situation where we were like, we're not going to ask. We don't need yeah. to ask. I don't yeah, want yeah, to yeah. ask because if I ask you, I know that your answer will be, hmm, well, if you take out this interesting element and this interesting element and make it more like a horror, could it just be like a horror movie? Could, you know, like seven people die at various key stages across the script? Because that's what horror movies are. That's all that they are. So, <laughs> you know, and it, it's like, it was really nice to be just like, oh, we don't, we don't have to have those conversations. We don't yeah. need that. We can just go and make a film. Yeah. So we, we wrote it really quickly. And it felt really freeing and was just like, we can write whatever the fuck we want. Um, And so we did. And it was properly, you know, all of the stuff that we always say, like, uh, in terms of writing, a lot of the time, it's the stuff where you're writing something that you don't really want to tell another human being ever in your entire life. (laughs) If you've written that on the page, then you've actually written something good. Yeah. Um, And it felt like that all the way through it. So we were like, okay, we'll show this to the producer who we're meant to be of writing the new draft of Hello Panda for. We'll show it to her, to Cassandra Sixgard. And she is so straight-laced and lovely and <laughs> loves rom-coms. And, you know, we'll be like, sorry, we haven't written a rom-com. We've actually written a thing about a guy and a, another girl fucking a dead girl. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, what do you think of that? We ex- fully expect our relationship to end here. Um, and instead she read it and loved it and was like, yeah, this is really you guys and I want to make it with you. And she Amazing. helped us find more money. And yeah. and because we were already still saying, we're just going to make this, um, and we'd put a date on it. So again, the restriction, you know, it was just like, yeah, we're going to be making it in January. Yeah. And I think in the end, we were making it in March and we yes. raised, uh, we'd got a budget of 150 grand in the end. Um, yeah. Amazing. And we'd always, by this point, we'd been working with a DOP called Ollie Russell for quite a long time on the short films. And he had been going off and making stuff with other people the whore um <laughs> and doing really well because he's a he's a he's amazing and makes stuff look really beautiful and he's finally got to the point now where he's really in demand um yeah. and that's lovely but yeah he he was gagging at the chance to make a feature with us and yeah. um yeah and it was and it was lovely doing all the casting as well in terms of like getting actors in and um, we had a great say, how casting was agent. that uh, uh, because again it is kind of it's it's with a debut feature it's luring them into the unknown as such you know you, you've got you've got a script and and that's it and i i still uh, the performance from 
from Abigail Hard in a minute just still stands out as one of my favourite of, of 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 that year and and since I think just everyone in it was amazing. So how was that process? Intense, but like yeah. you know, we we knew. I mean, again, you know, we knew that the film would live or die on its performances, and so we, yeah. you know, we you know we wrote it in fourteen days and cast for four months, and uh. I you know I think that's the right kind of distribution of energy in a way because you go you know also because it meant that uh, the script you know we weren't kind of every word of this is genius it was kind of like no we've just written this and so we were able to give it to those actors and they could bring them put themselves in it you know it's like it wasn't this thing of kind of like how do we get the person to fit the thing that we've created it was like okay here's what we've created how does this person fit? How does this person fit? And like with, with, I mean, with Abby in particular, it's kind of like we, you know, we had a sense of what Holly was and we saw a lot of actors who were closer to that. And then Abby came in and she was totally unexpected and totally not what we thought we'd written, but she was Holly. She absolutely was that character. And yeah, it was just like, oh, okay, that's a surprise. I mean, that's the other thing is that, yeah, we go a lot on actors who surprise us and actors who bring an unexpected energy and you go you know it's like you know when you've you know you've written a script and you know we do a lot of reading it back and forth between ourselves you know a lot of very bad acting and so you kind of you get into a pattern of like this is how this scene works you know and then when you when you see an actor and they're kind of like okay yeah they're kind of hitting what I think the scene is you go all right yeah that's fair enough that could work and then the actor comes in and they do something totally unexpected with it and you're like i didn't know i wrote that that's brilliant yeah like that's that's a whole new thing that's a whole and it's so exciting so yeah that was it was a yeah a really i mean it was a terrifying process we were casting while shooting you know like some of the other characters we were we were filming in the day uh and then you know um meeting people at lunchtime and you know after the shoot to kind of like oh could you be this character you could be that character so yeah it was yeah yeah. we we had a we had a rule that we were trying to stick to of um we were everybody auditions but we didn't want to offer a role to anyone without having met them and gone through the actual words you know i think that should be the process in all things at all times just me i've had stuff before where i've been offered a role and I've asked them to send me some sides or something so that I can just put something on tape to go, yeah. just so you know, <laughs> here's, <laughs> here's what I'm doing. Here's my thoughts. Cause I hate the idea of turning up and them going, Oh, wow. No, that's not what we, this isn't what we thought at all. It's, it's a bizarre thing to have that kind of, well, we're giving it to you. It's like, you don't know what I'm going to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also it's, you know, imagining it from the other way around it's just such a way of pigeonholing an actor. You know, when you go kind of like, oh, I thought of you, nine times out of 10, what you mean is I've seen you give this performance before. Can you give that performance again? It's so rare that you get someone going, I saw this actor and they gave this performance and I think they could do something totally the opposite. And that's what I want you to do. I want you to do the thing you haven't done before. And, and, And the scary part of it anyway is that so much of that is subconscious and not communicated so they may be casting you wanting a specific previous performance but they've not let you know that or or mention (laughs) that at all so it's like all right well yeah it's a weird one well i mean this is a good a transition because there's loads more i wanted i wanted to to ask about nina forever but i'm scared that we're not going to actually talk about out of of mind at all so um 
how how did that change um working on you know a bbc series because the casting process from my side i'll I'll say from my side i i I got a a sense sides for this from my agent and i was hugely excited because i was already a fan of you guys i'm already a fan of sarah um nick and simon a production company i was already really excited about i love gal stevens and her casting approaches i'd had some really good times with her yeah so i had that initial casting with gail and then i had a casting with you guys and then i had my first and only ever chemistry casting as as so far with fiona because the character i went for isn't the one i ended up with but yeah it, it all felt like i don't know somehow none of it felt like a big bbc thing it all felt very warm and normal and and human if that makes sense so is that kind of a key thing for you guys to be involved yeah definitely in the auditions for sure it's like it's slightly weird the the idea of just getting tapes because you're kind of like well half of the thing here is how do we work together yeah Yeah. you know and you're kind of like well you you know you don't get that from a tape like you definitely obviously okay that's the idea of what you thought you'd do with the role but well how does it actually work in the room how do you know do we actually twig you know do we actually have the same idea about the character we don't no, unless you actually just have a chat. Yeah, and do you speak the same language? But yeah, I and like there's again one of those kind of like cliches of filmmaking is the casting process and is that kind of like that it's like a job interview, you know, like there's this desk and I, I do I've, your flash dance now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I and and I, I know directors who treat it that way and who like that and who like to kind of you know put actors on edge and. I've heard people sort of justify that as kind of like, well, you know, you're going to be really nervous when you're filming. So I'd like to see how they respond under pressure. And uh, for us, that's just completely the wrong way about it. Cause you just go, yeah, it's going to be pressured when you're filming. So I, I want to know how I can help someone feel, not feel pressure. Like yeah. it's that thing of like, I, I, I always look at the casting process, not, it's not that I'm not interested in what the actor's doing. I'm interested in, in what I'm doing. It's like, how am I working with this person? How can I, fit in here how can i get something out of them because that's my job like can i do my job with you or is this not actually going to work you know it's like yeah yeah and the other thing with with the auditions as well is uh, is the camera yeah like i I always find it useful to be you know like we had a slightly weird one we were using that was gales um (laughs) in terms of it had to be plugged in the whole time yes the batteries were it wouldn't last um so i saw but i i don't like it's that's that static on a tripod you know, yeah. you just kind of go, you're never going to film like that. You know, like the last thing that we're ever going to do in a TV show is line someone up looking like they're out of the usual suspects for the entire fucking series. Yeah. You're like, you're going to be wanting to get the camera closer and seeing what their face looks like and how, you know, things change. And so being able to move the camera around the whole time and try and find different angles and see how it actually works, you know, that you're going like, okay, this is what someone's face looks like on screen. Yeah rather than yeah this was the lineup i mean the, the lineup always seems so weird you know yeah. like even to the even to the point where you get the uh show your hands how you like or i what? always find yeah i always find that some of the i really struggle with videos some of the things that happen in casting videos i find really creepy it's really <laughs> there's um, and some people you know like they're just used to doing i i assume like total commercial castings but you get these tapes and these people are just kind of like hello i am so and so uh my agent is this 
They just hold up their hands and they turn to the side and they turn round and you're like, I'm not buying you. It's and my, not. <laughs> and my self tapes are always a, 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 a ridiculous because in the room I film them in, I'm too tall for a full body. <laughs> so I kind of, I, I'll, I'll introduce myself close up to the camera and then I'll run to the back of the room to get as much of me in as I can. So, so again, it never comes across as that professional element of it. It's, it's always like, there's a bit more below there. That's about half of my shin. I don't know if you want me to lift up my foot for the camera, but yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, we were really keen to get you in on the show. And part of it was the thing of, so the show is, Sarah Pascoe, she's written and created this thing yeah. um, called Out of a Mind, which is really different. It really is. It's like a, you know, it's. I was going to say, how would you describe it? Because all my it's, excitement of the audition and that was there multiplied when I got the scripts because it wasn't what I expected yeah. at all. And it just blew me away. As each script came in more, at first I thought, oh, this is cool. It's kind of, it's very Sarah. It's, it's very unique. And by the end, I was like, this is like n- nothing else. It's, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it really I, I, is. I always think of it as um, Terry and June, but written by Samuel Beckett. Um. Yeah, yeah. You see, I described it as I think I mentioned it in in the audition as as Clarissa explains it all, but for adults because <laughs> it, it's yeah. it's so got those elements where she's turning to, or she's in in a separate world explaining things or or popping up here and there. I was like, yeah, why haven't yeah. we had that before? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, and it's really interesting story-wise and really interesting the way that she deconstructs everything as well, you know, like not just the world around us and, you know, the thousand years of biological evolutionary science that she goes into, but also the very nature of story. She's pretty much something, you know. But doing it all all in a warm way as well. At no point feeling like like Stuart Lee is one of my favourites of that, at deconstructing, but he does that in a character of, I'm looking down on you, you're all idiots. Intentionally, that's kind of part of the joke. But Sarah manages to do that kind of deconstruction and touch on those huge and important subjects and not feel like she's ch- chastising you or looking down at you and no, or never. anything else. Yeah. She's yeah, always exactly. and she's always very emotional. I think that's the really powerful thing about it is that she's she uses she uses the science and she uses her intelligence like to sucker you into her to the emotional storyline that she's telling you. So it's it's not, you know, like the the thing that you come away with it from it is not a lecture about the history of human evolution, although that is in there. The thing that you come away from it is some of the, you know, the emotional stuff that has carried her through her life. And you go, that's what's really clever about it is that she's operating on so many different layers at once. And it's not, it's it's not, it's not just showing off about things that she's learned. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. completely. Yeah. Yeah. There's something really nice about the way that you, you're going to watch the series and see the world in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of, those are the stories that we love to, to tell. Like, you know, Nina Forever's definitely trying to do that as well. Yeah. And yeah, the big thing with us, with Sarah, was the sense of, like, the stereotype of Essex is always one in which you go, okay, yeah, dumb people living in, in Dagenham or, yeah. you know, birds of a feather. And you're kind of like, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't really go much further than that. And yeah. yeah, we're going, well, we know Sarah and we know you and you're two of the most erudite, intelligent people <laughs> that we've ever met and so we were like well we really want to get you in it because this is the kind of show that we're making we're making a show about a side of Essex that you've not seen before we're we're making something that is about that yeah the iconoclastic side of the 
of the county. And so yeah. it was really important to try and get as many people from there that it wasn't just, you know, okay, let's get people in who could do an accent. That's yeah. probably more like a East End accent than an Essex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we were really keen to get you in and it was really lovely having you there with Fiona as well to be yeah. able to talk about all of that. And um, yeah, so we were like, uh, I mean, actually, the, yeah, I'd love to know about your process in terms of, so the role that you have is really fucking funny. Yeah. And it's possibly, it's possibly the the funniest character in the whole series, to be honest. Yeah. I agree. And yeah. <laughs> and, but the, the, the energy you bring to it, there's something really special about it as well. And it was like, we saw it in the read through, which, you know, read throughs are lovely where you're just like, okay, you get nearly all the cast, hopefully all the cast are all yeah. round the table and you read every single script all in one, well, in one sitting pretty much, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. we could tell that you totally knew what you wanted to do with it yeah, right there. Completely. And then, yeah, when we were on set as well, it was like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, you've worked out, you know, you know what you're going to do. And it was really lovely being able to tweak that and, you know, just push it a little bit further where we needed to. But it was really nice seeing the preparation. And I was, I was wondering, actually, if with you, like how much preparation you'd done before the read-through and then before the shoot. What exactly were you well, thinking? How I mean, you it's it? one of the things I, I, I love about this industry is the mad journeys of it all. Because the day I found out I'd got that role, there were two things I was up for. And on both of them, I'd not got the role I'd, been up for i'd got a smaller role which on paper you go oh this is kind of a bit of a sweet thing so i had that moment of oh it's cool to still be involved and then i got the script and i was like oh no i want this role far more than <laughs> than than the role i was up for this is far more fun i can i can have more fun with it and then it is it's exactly that kind of i like to try and get stuff as early as as possible and and live with it if you know what I mean, I am someone who obsesses over these things. So I was going through that that character and who he is for absolutely ages. The, the other a thing I got on that that same day, which isn't isn't out yet or hasn't been announced, I'm in it yet. But I'm in it for one scene, and the amount of prep I did, I know that character inside and out. And you you're only seeing from one side of a pane of glass, but that's part of the fun <laughs> of acting, right? It's it yeah, should yeah. be that the dream is to get the roles where you can go really in depth, but it's the same as you were saying earlier. Why not prep for that on the, on the smaller roles, go as yeah. in depth, go really into it and find the character and find their, their history and all, all the backstory. Cause at some point you'll get to do that on camera and that's great, but either way, it's going to add to the, the, the moments you do have there. And, and that read through was a big, a confidence boost. Cause again, and Nick and Simon are mates, but I didn't know they'd be there for the read through. And, yeah. and getting yeah, we didn't to do know my they'd be there for the read through. <laughs> <laughs> and, and getting to do my little scene was one of the ones that got the big laugh of the day. So I was like, it, yeah. it, it was a really nice kind of. You're waiting for ages. You, 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 you're getting nervous because it is weird to, to. It's almost weirder to do a table read if you've only got a couple of scenes than if you're yeah. doing everything. If you know what I mean, because you are just like, yeah. I'm trying to get a read of the room is what I've got in mind going to work? And then you get to it and then, yeah, it was it was an, a nice moment. But uh, one of the things that added to it, my comfort of deciding where I wanted to go with the character was n knowing I was with Cariad because, again, yeah. she's someone that I'm a huge fan of. I'm, 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 I'm lucky to think of her as a friend as, as well now, but aside from everything, I'm a huge 
fan of her. So it felt exciting and comfortable, yeah, to be working with her. But there was obviously an element that made it probably less calm and, re- and relaxing. And we've touched upon it earlier was that she was heavily and, and, and heavily <laughs> pregnant. Like there yeah. was, I, I discussed uh, with her that you guys had had some issues because it felt her bump looked unrealistic. <laughs> Yeah, even I, though it was real because she's so small and it was was such a bump it was like if this was costume you'd say no let's tone this down a bit but no yeah, she it's, was it's silly yeah really heavily pregnant so <laughs> so how was that on your side of things on on that's a stressful when your partner is heavily pregnant it's a stressful time to be working anyway but to be working with them to be both working together how was that f- for both of you yeah, it was, I mean, it was definitely a stressful time for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it, yeah, it's, it's funny though, because it, it also really helps because you get, you get so plugged into the process and it was a very intense shoot, but it's also, it's always when, it, you know, it's always really, really good to be reminded that you are just making a television program. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, I think that, you know, for everybody and there were, you know, like plenty of times when, you know, like stress levels would be really high and everyone would be really tired. And, you know, often the set would get very, very hot and, you know, people would start complaining, which is only natural. And then they turn around and see that Gary Ed wasn't. And it would just be kind of like, (laughs) oh, okay. Yeah. No, rein it in a bit, actually rein it in. um, Because if she's, if she's okay, then, then I'm probably okay too, you know? And and again, from that sense of kind of like, well, you know, going to push and get this and push and get this. There's also that kind of like, just that handy sort of like restraining hand on your shoulder, kind of like, yeah, make certain that it's, it's all really funny and brilliant, but you know, don't kill your unborn child or anything, you know? I I, I love it as well. It's been really interesting in this conversation because to hear the focus on the comfort of the, of the actors, and and the priority of actors. Obviously, I've seen that on set, but part of it, I kind of thought, well, it's because there's a pregnant person. It's because one of the two <laughs> actors in this scene is heavily pregnant. So, so there was a lot of care and and making sure everyone's happy and comfortable. But again, it's kind of good to realise th- through this conversation that that's kind of what you're aiming for, regardless of like, w- whether you're pregnant or not. Um, <laughs> yeah, your comfort will most- be a priority. Yeah, because it's so exposing being an actor, you know, and it's so, and it it should be like, that's what, you know, that's what we want, you know, and again, you know, like Chris saying earlier about about writing and, you know, when you've put the thing down that you're embarrassed of, that's, yeah, that's good writing. That is probably, you know, but then you're giving that to actors and they have to actually be that person. Or if you're Sarah, like you write down the thing that you don't want to tell people. And then you you have to be the person sat there telling those people, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah pretend pretending to be yourself, yeah, yeah, you know, and it's like, and I think you know, like, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of hers, but I, I think she has done an incredible job at pretending to be herself, and I think until you've tried to pretend to be yourself, you don't know quite how difficult it is to pretend to be yourself and how effortless she makes it look and how willing she was to go to those difficult places and uh, you know and swivel from being funny to being honest to being silly again moment to moment it was you know it was it's, really it's another to thing watch that's it, to be honest. so overlooked when i was working on 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 taboo with tom hardy i'd been talk- I, was, I, was, I was talking to him offset about a project he had been trying to get going or that had been kind of working where he was going to be essentially playing himself 
and he ended up binning it because he said, I just can't do it. I, I literally, I can't do it. I can play other people. I, ca- I can't play myself. It's the most yeah. uncomfortable thing for him. And he's, again, I respect him as an actor hugely. Yet it, Somewhat. <laughs> you, do, you, you do often see people who seem to be playing themselves and think, oh, I could do that. Yeah. That's not that's not proper acting. Whereas if they're doing an accent, or <laughs> in in that case, they're a proper actor. But yeah, it can be the the hardest thing in the world. So how's it been? Because you were shooting essentially over Christmas, right? How's it been? Kind yeah. of yeah. wrapping just before the world ended, and then getting a show together. To to how's this bit been? I guess essentially since I last saw you guys, because because it is that weird. And and, yeah. and the goalposts are moved even more with how things are now, with people wanting things later, earlier, not knowing when they want it. How's that been? Yeah, we uh, we actually had um, just the week before lockdown, we had the moment with um, Bridget, our editor, her partner had all the symptoms of COVID. Wow. Um, and so we all had to self-isolate for two weeks. You'd Ben had just gone off to go be new dad so had thankfully just missed that moment but uh yeah so we we had to stop for two weeks and then we actually did everything remotely after that so we we were editing via zoom uh a lot of the time with bridget in her place in in brixton and uh yeah i saw zooming in to to see the edit and in some ways it was actually really uh helpful (laughs) because the, just the just the, t- the the sense of time and pressure uh, where you kind of go we were definitely trying to do a standard television edit and we actually pretty much did the edit in that time but i would the show has a shit ton of vfx in it um yeah. we, a lot of which is you know like hidden stuff stuff that you're not going to notice hopefully rather than in your face and there was quite a lot of work that i basically i was doing and so having that bit of extra time because the time pressure was suddenly like, you yeah, know, no, it's okay. It's okay. We understand that you can't do things at the pace that you can do it if you're in person. Yeah. That was really helpful because I could yeah, it's keep like, working it's, at home. It's like the grade. I mean, Chris, you know, has always basically graded everything that we've done, you know, sort of at increasing levels of professionalism. And he graded Nina um, and some of the TV shows that we had edited in the past as well. But we were going to work with a brilliant grader that we'd worked with before, but on this but then obviously covid happened and it just became impossible yeah but it then meant that it, that you know chris was just like well look the simplest way is for me to do it and obviously being chris he then just didn't sleep so you know in some <laughs> ways it kind of you know has worked to the show's advantage because you know there's all of this work that chris can do and you know, Goz, the producer, was sort of not trying to stop him doing it, but just because she loves him and cares about his mental health, she was kind of like, we don't have to do all of this, Chris. You don't have to yeah. do all of this. And then she wasn't allowed to be in the same room as him, so he did all of it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. Because often, creatively, a singular vision can be all the more powerful than 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 committee, but it often isn't possible to be the writer, director, actor, editor, all all these different things. So, But to have a situation that kind of went... Right. Well, let's. It, yeah, it put <laughs> a lot more in Chris's hands as such. It's yeah. it's going to benefit in the long run. Maybe not his mental health or or life <laughs> in general, but the the. I, don't, I mean, in the middle the of COVID, it might, it might have saved his mental health. Yeah, you know, there, there, there definitely was. There definitely was that moment um, when we we did the we did ADR entirely by Zoom, which was a nightmare. But you wow. know, was, yeah, was achievable. Yeah, just yeah, the, yeah. The recording of that was slightly different from this. They didn't. 
that it was actually getting recorded through the internet, wasn't it? Yeah. Right. But they'd, they'd sent they'd sent mics, and was it a box or something that you had to cl- plug into your computer? To- yeah, mics in a box, but the actual record you'd get you, you'd get dropout, and so you, you you know like if someone had bad internet. Yeah, that would get recorded, and that'd be very frustrating when they've just done like a perfect bit of lip sync, and it's like, nah, it's unusable because their yeah. internet isn't good enough. You're like, oh, this is not nightmare. how this process should be done. Um, but yeah, we kind of <laughs> we did the mix in town, and and me and Chris would go into Envy where we did it, and Ben, who was mixing it, was kept away from us in a different studio, and we we're only allowed to talk to him via talkback. Um, yeah. But like there definitely was that thing of kind of meeting Chris for the first time and just being kind of like, you know, God, it's so weird, isn't it? And he was like, yeah, no, you know, it's like I had this thing with the, the face filter, didn't do that. And this thing happened. And I was like, no, I, I meant the global pandemic, Chris. And he was like, the, yeah. hmm, what? It was just like, I meant the yeah. rest of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I honestly had no idea. I was just, uh, yeah, here in the bunker, just working away every hour that uh, you can. Like, um, I mean, it's the same on Nina, to be honest. Like yeah. Nina, we had, we had the pressure of, I mean, hilariously with Nina, we'd got into, uh, well, we'd, we'd, uh, been hoping to get into South by Southwest as our premiere and we'd done a, a cut that was pretty long and we still had to shoot some pickup scenes and we'd asked them for an extension because we were like, we really want to get into your festival. Can you give us a bit more time? And so they, they were like, yep, sure. This is the actual deadline. Eventually they, they told us that and, uh, we still weren't ready, uh, oh, wow. by the time that deadline came around and it actually took us another year to finish the, uh, the edit. So we, which was actually really good. It, it really, you know, changed this. Well, helped the story, everything that we were hoping to do with it got better. And by the time that it was ready, we were showing it to them a year later, they accepted it and we were still working on it right up until basically we got on getting, the flight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 I, I had it. I'd, I'd sent them a rough version that wasn't the finished version of like the grade via the post, which actually got lost by FedEx. And uh, yeah, I had the, the, the film under my arm. Uh, as we were going through security and they're like what's this because you're kind of like you know in movies when they when they when they have a bomb the bomb is always in a black pelly case yeah yeah of course and you're like what 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 does the film industry use mainly as the thing that you put any sort of form of equipment in it's a black pelly case what's inside the black pelly case well it's a foam thing with a you know an insert which just has like this weird little silver metallic box inside of it and you're like yeah. what's that so it's a hard drive it's got a film on it you're like it is you're like yeah, yeah. please don't put it through the x-ray machine and of course chris definitely learned his lesson about airports and when we uh showed the film <laughs> in this incredible uh, mexican film festival um yeah called which, morbido morbido which was just um, a fantastic time yeah, yeah if, you, we, if you ever get the chance to go to morbido then you have to go to it's amazing. It, is, it is amazing it's it's run by this incredible man called um Pablo Gesa, and he he's there for the dressing up. And literally, he introduces every single film in a different, very detailed, fancy dress. Um, yeah, which is to do with that film. Yeah. I love it. So for, for us, he came up, he, he was in a dressing gown. <laughs> he, I was going to say, made us, was he just naked and covered in blood? That's the, that's, that's the ideal, right? <laughs> no, the... the well, his, co- uh, his co-host the, was, yeah. Yeah, she she, she was, yeah. Oh, wow. um, and uh, yeah, we, we were dressed up in um, the supermarket uniforms um, <laughs> that, they, that they wear in the film and they'd, they'd get, they got us our own little name badges with Ben and Chris. But yeah, we, 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 we won... We won an uh, award there, which is brilliant. But all of the awards for the festival are skull-shaped, but very kind of intricately carved 
kind of um, different designed kind of Mexican skulls. And um, they also, you know, gave, gave us a whole bunch of alcohol and stuff. And Chris packed all of that in his hand luggage. And so we're going through, uh, we're, we're oh, leaving Mexico. Oh, they look yeah. amazing as well. Yeah. <laughs> and they stop and they pull out these two kind of like crystal skulls from his bag. And they're like, and what are these, sir? It's just like, it's an award. It's an award. Uh, it was a film festival. They kind of, and I was just really expecting them to like crack them open. And I couldn't work out. I was, first of all, I was expecting them to crack them open. And then I was expecting them to actually be filled with cocaine. That was, yeah. I, was like, I was like, that's the thing. I still sort of expect a knock on the door one day and for um, him to be there with a smile and a pinstripe suit just to unscrew the head, take out yeah. the drugs he smuggled in and leave and just be like, oh, cool. Cheers, dude. It's all an elaborate ruse. I love that. <laughs> and I love the idea of, um, of being given the de- deadline for South by Southwest submission and emailing back going, and what year is that? Confirm the year on the deadline because I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Well, I mean, I I kind of we're going to have to have to wrap things up as we're at seventy minutes already. I had notes to talk about uh, Juliet Stevenson because amazing genius. She's just an absolute. I I saw her on the on on the list, and then the moments I got to chat to her backstage, I felt were as much of an education on the industry and everything as. Uh, as anything but a hell of a cast in general Ed Edmondson just so many yeah Ed Edmondson is yeah also a genius it was really nice with both of them getting to see them do help them do sort of the opposite of what they're known for in a way you know so so Aid gets to do some properly really heartfelt stuff with Sarah at at some points which is really cool he was very silly at times which is incredibly yeah yeah, delightfully silly and then Juliet gets to be really funny and yeah really silly as well um and yeah she's she's brilliant she, she was very straight i mean she came in um she couldn't do she couldn't do the read through could she she came in she came in just at the end of the That's rehearsal right, yeah. week because she comes in and she's just like oh i'm so sorry i couldn't make the rest of it i've just been filming in israel with terence malik which <laughs> obviously you go kind of like oh good i'm i'm really glad that um the next director you get to work with is is this guy? Because you know, I definitely feel there's going to be no no change in gear between that. But then, like the next thing she says is just kind of like, just treat me like I'm fresh out of drama school. Just whatever you want to do, however you want to work, just 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 tell me. And she was absolutely as good as her words. I was going to say she, no... she was exactly like that. Her warmth and her uh, asking everyone else what their ideas are and everything. Just yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do, do yeah. you two have kind of set roles? as such in in your directing partnership is do you have a, a plan of who's who on set as such or are you just I'm, no. I'm kind of asking is there a good cop bad cop element but not as good and bad <laughs> as a kind of who's is there the organized and the creative or or or, or what is he's very, more lyrical and i'm more blunt sometimes yeah it's right? very fluid and usually usually like yeah we, we try and keep it fluid and usually kind of like we get a sense as to which one of us has the clearest the clearest way of expressing or the clearest vision for each particular thing that you're doing and then you kind of like give them the floor so you know you go kind of like okay this is slightly more chris's idea so you know or this is slightly more my idea and then also like usually across the shoot you start to see because we do communicate in different ways and you start to see which people respond differently 
to each of us. And so, you know, by the end of it, you go, you know, we usually have dropped into a bit of a pattern of kind of like, okay, I think so-and-so is probably better off if you go and talk to them and I'll talk to this person instead, you know, usually. But, and then sometimes you then just switch that. It's quite good to switch that up because then that's quite refreshing, you know, like it's, you know, particularly over, you know, like, you know, six week shoot, it's kind of, you do, you drop into patterns. And so, you know, it is quite nice to have, not so much good cop, bad cop, but just two different cops is is quite handy. <laughs> yeah. And because we're always talking about it, it's like you go, I guess most directors, you're just looking at them, waiting for them to say something. And then they say, we'll do this. And with us, we're talking about what we should do. And you kind of get to hear it. And yeah, it yeah, actually in- includes people a bit and your thought process. And hopefully it helps open it up, you know, a lot of the time. So you're kind of like, we're always really open to people's suggestions. Um, like, for instance, one of the big things with the show was a um, production designer called Brian Sykes, who oh, amazing, it was his idea. So basically Sarah's written this thing where you're kind of inside her head. Yep. She's talking straight to camera, talking about um, anything that's going on in the show and behind her is the show being projected and or or it's some some stuff illustrating what she's talking about and yeah this space was like okay how are we going to do that because we don't really have the money to be able to build any of the sets that we need to build already a bride's idea was well just use Ealing studios it's um it's beautiful it's one of the most um, beautiful spaces in london <laughs> yeah and and he's totally seven, right he's 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 really old school and we really thought like he, we, we could only speak to him by the, on the phone at first, and we really thought, kind of like, oh god, this is just going to be, you know, a ten minute phone call because he's, you know, he's just not going to be the sort of guy we want to work with. And he was like, I, I just want to say, I love the scripts, and to me, they're just totally Fellini. I just think, <laughs> I, I just see Fellini, and I think Sarah, she's just the essence of Fellini. And we were like, okay, okay, we're interesting. You, you, okay. you, you have our attention, yeah. Now, Brian. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> Yeah. And uh, yeah, so yeah, so this this space that kind of got dubbed the magic eye um, in the script, but never gets referred to as anything in, in the actual series. Yeah, we were kind of like, okay, yeah, let's use uh, Ealing Studios stage two. And you've kind of got this real, it's got a, like a really ghostly energy to it, you know, like yeah. um, one of the stories, isn't it, of uh, the tank that used to be there, supposedly yeah. somebody drowned and uh, their ghost still haunts the, the halls of, of Ealing. Um, and yeah, you, you can really feel like the different productions that have been there, you know, over the years where you're kind of like, this series does have a kind of a bit of an Ealing comedy feel to it. And, yeah. Um, I remember, yeah. at, at, I can't remember if it was at the end of the shoot or because we had, we broke in the middle for Christmas. And at one of those points, Brian came up to Sarah and he, like, he, he never really spoke to Sarah because he was a bit in awe of her. Like, uh, but he was, he was slightly on the edge of tears and he was just like, I just want to say thank you for doing, like, this show is absolutely capturing the spirit of this building. And it's one of the most important buildings in the history of film and television in this country. And this show is, is expressing something of that. And I think what you're doing is, is really amazing. Thank you. Just walked straight off before she could say it. And it was like, no, don't talk to me. Don't talk to me. Beautiful. I love that. Well, that's a perfect a place to kind of wrap things up. I always kind of end with asking what's ahead, but that's the vaguest thing in the world with an industry that's in absolute pieces do you have any idea or plans of what you'd like to, to do next or what the next p- project might be? Um, we definitely have vice. plans. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have plans. We're definitely writing stuff at the moment. And um, it's nice to get back to the writing. But yeah, we're kind of, in a way, we're sort of coming out of this a little bit blinking newborns in a yeah. kind of like, we don't really know how it's going, how people are doing stuff. Like, you know, like you're there 
in isolation waiting to be able to do a shoot and yeah. you're like okay cool that's in- really interesting to hear how somebody's actually trying to to make a thing because you know we're just sort of on completely the other side of it it does f- and, feel like that because yeah. again a, th- a thing on on the shoot i'm doing they keep re- reiterating to to bring the importance of doing this all right and safely they keep kind of saying the world's eyes are on us because everyone's getting shut down so we need to do this right to show people here's the system here's the setup of yeah. how you you produce a show in these times safely and caring mm. about not just the actors but everyone in in the team caring about their health and their safety and and yeah and their families and everyone else so it's certainly yeah. there's pressure on it because they are kind of like yep another one got closed down last week yep another one's been closed down it's like okay well yeah I do Interesting think it's nice, you know, I think the industry is very, you know, it's a hard industry to work in and it's, uh, you know, it's a hard industry to have a family in, you know, yeah. it's a hard industry to have kids in and it's, it's, yeah, and it's quite nice to be at a time and I'm sure it won't last, you know, but where suddenly everyone has to stay, take a step back and just go, wait a minute, we are only making television, it is important, yeah. stories are really important, but you can't, use that as a reason to just bulldoze every other consideration in someone's life you know and it is important that people are going to go home and you don't want them to kill their families like that's that doesn't seem a worthwhile trade-in for (laughs) telling a story that doesn't you know and it's it's nice to kind of have that slightly more human way of working which again i think one of the the problems with the way particularly in the uk and america people have reacted to the the pandemic is that the suggestion that their job isn't essential work means it's worthless. And that's not what it's saying at all. Again, I think TV and film and everything is hugely important, but if it can't be done safely, then it shouldn't be being done. Again, that's why I I like the idea of finding ways to make this safe, but if it can't, then it's the most important thing in my world, but it's not essential. It's not a nurse. It's not, it's not the front line, you know? And yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I think that's, that's something that people, I said, particularly in the UK and America are struggling with massively is that they feel it's a personal insult. If you're saying, no, no, what you do is really important, but everyone surviving is more important. <laughs> That's yeah, not to we, say you, you're not important. Absolutely. But yes, we have, we have such a kind of weird way of justifying our existence, you know, that it, it is all about what you do and the importance of what you do. And it's, you know, and <laughs> it just forces everyone to get into this kind of weird kind of pattern of kind of like, well, no, my job's more important than your job. My job's more important than your job. And <laughs> yeah. You then sort of, you know, look back and you go kind of like, yeah, why, why aren't we paying teachers anything? Why, why, why do we not look after nurses and yeah. people who do social it was, care? It was like, an, those, an like, amazing thing. I, I worry I'm, I'm now going to make it another hour of, of, of the podcast, but it was an amazing <laughs> thing in Rutger Bregman's book, uh, A Utopia for Realists. And he shows these two examples of in America in this in the seventies when the the bin men went on strike, and within a week they were essentially made the fourth emergency service or whatever because <laughs> because there was just rats yeah. everywhere, genuine health issue, everything else, and the bin men are now so respected in in New York and in in the area because of that part of history, whereas yeah. comparatively. In Ireland, in I think it was the early eighties, the bankers went on strike, and then after I think two months, they just came back. 
because no one because everyone was like cool well we'll look after our own money and we'll deal with this and we'll figure out trades and we'll have internal kind of trust groups and all this kind of thing and the bankers had to kind of go all right well we're back now but we're still very important and again you compare the pay of bankers to bin men and it's completely upside down on on actual essentialness to our society yeah i think i mean in terms of you know in terms of what one of the things we would love to do or find a way of doing is telling utopian stories about the future rather than well, not even ones. utopian not like, even utopian, utopian always, just positive positive, positive stories yeah. and it's like in terms of the importance of storytelling like you know chris joked at the start of kind of like you know it's 2020 and up until 2020, you know, in all of the you know 2000s, someone around you at New Year always makes the joke, where's my flying car? But yeah. you go, it's 2020, the skies are red, it's raining, there's a global pandemic, phew, at least we're living in the future we predicted. <laughs> but you go, yeah, because the nature of a story requires drama. And so stories require problems. And so all the stories we've ever told about the future are about how everything is fucked up, about how, you know, this technology comes along and destroys everything. This technology comes along and destroys everything. This thing doesn't happen, so everyone dies. Then the aliens turn up. And it's, you know, it's not surprising that our view, that so much of the world around us is predicated on this kind of toxic sense of, you know, business will take over and destroy our minds, you know? And it's like, yeah, communication technology will destroy our sense of self you know ray bradbury was writing about that in the 1960s and you go it's not surprising that we're now living through it because that's the stories have created the world that we've moved into so yeah i you know would really love to find ways of telling stories that still work as stories that serve drama but that are predicated on positive ideas and ideas of how we can actually fix some of this shit because they are out there and it is possible um, yeah. and, and you want to make that exciting. You know, you want to have heroes who actually can solve something rather than heroes who nothing can be solved and so they shoot someone. Like, that's, yeah, that's something we'd like to do. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'll end it there. Thank you very much, gents. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, mate, cool. thank you. I hope that Thanks, was uh, useful, but yeah. Um... been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. That was the Blame Brothers. I hope you enjoyed that. I know we did. Um, it was really nice. As you'll hear, as as we mentioned, I mean, um, when we recorded it, I was in Canada and because of quarantines and things like that, I hadn't spoken to anyone in ages. <laughs> Not like l- looking at someone in the face and having a conversation so it was really, I think they got my full excitement and attention. And we had a bit a bit of a ramble after we stopped recording as well. So, um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. Out of Her Mind is out now on iPlayer. Sarah Pascoe is amazing. In fact, previous guests, previous podcast episodes, go and check out the Carriad Lloyd one, the two episodes with with Sarah Pascoe. And, yeah, that's it. I'll be back next week with more wonderful chitter-chatter. Until then, have fun and stay safe.